Holly Tucker, and welcome to my podcast, Conversations of Inspiration. Founder of Not On The High Street and Holly & Co, I'm the UK ambassador of creative small businesses. I believe that having a business doing what you love is the key to a happy, fulfilled life. And my dream is to help everyone start theirs. I'm here to offer advice, inspiration, wisdom and encouragement. And in my view, the greatest way to do this is by sharing stories. So I've reached out to all my favourite small businesses, acclaimed entrepreneurs and those who just simply inspire me and ask them to share theirs. With thanks to our sponsor NatWest, who have helped bring this free podcast to life. Here are my conversations of inspiration. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're going. You this week's episode was recorded in front of an audience live in glorious Edinburgh with Charlie Gladstone, founder of Peddlers and the Good Life Experience. I must admit, I've been excited for this interview ever since he joined us at the Congregation of Inspiration, and he didn't disappoint. The evening was pure magic, with Charlie leading us through his self-described feral childhood, but an upbringing that couldn't have been more unique, where his great-great-grandfather was the most famous man in the world at one point. In this inspiring conversation, Charlie and I discuss what he believes to be the game changers for small businesses, the future of retail and why you must shop with purpose, and how he and us all could ultimately harness our enthusiasm, drive and hard work into creating a little slice of our own good lives. I do hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it. Charlie was a gentleman and a total brilliant delight. (laughs) Hello, you. Well, this is a moment for me. I am so excited to have you in this beautiful city, getting to chat about the good life, our wonderful community, all who have come out in this chilly evening in Edinburgh live, and I just know we're going to have the most special conversation. So thank you so much for being here tonight, and your lovely family, who I know in the front row, who I'm equally as excited to meet as well. I have been, I'm going to make you blush, I have been a huge fan of yours for a very long time now with your business peddlers and I remember being obsessed when you started selling anything neon and anything vintage, it just had a calling for me too. So my house, along with Not on the High Street, is full of peddlers. Um, But from reading the articles, from us meeting before, I just know we're going to have a huge affinity. I think we're both hugely passionate about the same things. Design, provenance, supporting makers, running businesses, but mainly helping everyone live what you've called the good life. And I cannot wait to get onto these subjects. So thank you, Charlie, for being here. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) It's interesting because I think Holly is someone who's an incredibly successful business person. And I'm not convinced, Holly, that that I'm a good business person in the conventional sense of the word. I think I've sort of recalibrated a notion of success, and that is that my notion of success is definitely to do with with happiness. 
And, and I think that's not just my happiness, but the happiness of people that work for me. And what, what I've realised, I mean, I'm 55 now, so I'm, well, I've worked it out a few minutes ago, I'm 14 years older than you. Um, <laughs> and, and what I've realised is that I'm never going to be rich, but I, I've got, I now have about 120, maybe a little bit more people who work for me. And what, what I'm good at and what I'm really interested in is the idea of making them thrive, you know, making, making their lives good. And, and, and I think that that's the definition of the good life. I mean, Caroline and I, when we started Peddlers, which was when Kinvara, who is here now, who's 22, was inside Caroline's tummy, we, we set out to create the good life because we live, or we lived a long time, about 100 miles north of here at a place called Glendie. And I think we realised quite young that, I mean, Kinvara was our fifth out of six child, so, so we had quite a few by then, that what we really wanted to do was to put equal weight on the sort of pleasures of life, like, and I don't mean the sort of, you know, the kind of pleasures of sort of drinking and eating, but actually the pleasures of just being able to go for a walk and, and play with the children and exercise the dogs and feel, and, you know, look after the chickens and put equal weight on that with the kind of things that we had to do, like sort of, you know, um, you know stock takes and photo shoots and all the rest yes. of it. I don't think we actually ever sat down and said we were going to try and create the good life, but that was probably the, the motivation for that. That wow. we were never, you know, I, I mean, I'm not going to pretend that I didn't think for a, quite a long time that I was going to make myself really rich, and I thought that was great. I think I was more, much more interested in the sort of creative process and, yes. and, and, and in, you know, and in, in production. I mean, I think if, if it, are most people here setting up, or do you have small businesses? I mean, I, I think the exciting thing about that is, for me, and we now have. Quite remarkably, I mean, I, it sounds a bit weird. I look after over 20 small businesses, from one person to, I suppose, about sort of 40 people. What I love about making small businesses is that production, you know, the mm. kind of making of yeah. something out of nothing. You know, you've got, you've got nothing, nothing exists, and you have this idea, and, and you make that happen. So we've done festivals and holiday houses and Christmas tree farms and peddlers, and we have farm shops and we have a pub and we have cafes and each of those things particularly kind of things like the festival it's sort of nothing and, and you you make something from nothing, nothing. and yes. you know I mean so I think that's my you know that's what really gets me going and we're just starting a new business in fact in the last well two weeks I'm going to get on to that but I want to take you before we dart on to your future I want to start at the beginning because I'd love to take you right back to the beginning of your childhood. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your upbringing? I can, absolutely. Born in a headmaster's house at Lansing College, a big private school in Sussex. Um, blah, blah, blah. Went off to boarding school, age seven. Was unbelievably homesick. I was uh, bullied. I was really unacademic. And, and then I scraped my way, age 13, into Eton. Now, Eton gets a bad rap, and I, but I'm not going to apologise for going there because, for me, it was completely brilliant. And it was a game-changer. And aged about... In my, so they did this almost barbaric thing. At the end of every term, all the boys, of which in my year there were about 250, would go and sit in the theatre and they'd read out the exam results from... Um, bottom to top. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I came second bottom in my first year. <laughs> it's, uh, 275 was a guy called Jim Gadsden, 274 <laughs> Charlie Gladstone. Oh, shit. 
Um, and, and, and anyway, but then aged about 15, I just completely got it. And I absolutely thrived. And um, I did really well academically. I got into Oxford. And that, again, was a game changer for me because I, di I, I didn't do a huge amount of work there. But what I did do was run a nightclub and direct seven plays during my nine terms. And, and when I say direct, I mean, that was that thing of making something from yeah. nothing. So, you know, I'd say, I want to direct a play. You know, it's this play. And then you've got to kind of get, you know, you've got to get the actors and, and you've got to get the, um, the posters done yeah. and the theatre yes. booked and the set Pull it built. All together. So it's a production. And I think that, that probably taught me in a strange way that um, you can do anything. Mm. Because, you know, it's exactly what I was saying earlier. It was that thing of kind of, you know, building, building something from nothing. So is that... Is that yeah, of my that childhood. is. But um, you also had a rather famous grand, great great grandfather. Yes. I read that he was the most famous man in the world for most of the 19th century, and every working class household in Britain had a memento of him. Can you just share a little about him? Because having such a prestigious entrepreneurial family dynasty must have had an effect. And for those of you who are listening, we're now looking at some incredible yeah. photographs of your great-great-grandfather. Well, William, William Ewart Gladstone was my great-great-grandfather, and in Wales we live in his house, and he was the Prime Minister of Britain for four full terms. Unbelievable. And, um, and he was regarded as the most famous man in the world, and Queen Victoria was the most famous woman in the world. So this was the sort of golden age of Britain... Um, it, it, in many ways. I mean, it, you know, so it, it, now with the benefit of hindsight, the sort of imperialist Victorian times weren't the best. But um, so I've always, so I'm the oldest son of the oldest son. So, so I'm the kind of, you know, I, I am the direct successor of, of his. He was very, very driven, very Protestant, incredibly hard, incredibly hardworking. I mean, almost to the point of kind of, you know, being, you know, a superpower. Red. 22,000 books while he was alive. I mean, you know, really, really extraordinary man. But So that's one side of my character. I mean, I, I've worked all of my working life so hard and I can't quite figure out why. And I carry on. And it, it's, it's a kind of insanity, but, it, but it's also mm -hmm. a perfectionism. And of course, that's a good thing. But on the other side of my family, interestingly enough, my, my great uncle was Cecil Beaton, the um, photographer and and, and director who won two Oscars for um, set design for films. He won an Oscar for My Fair Lady and Gigi. And he was kind of famous, early, kind of flamboyant photographer, royal photographer, official war photographer, you know, friend of sort of Mick Jagger and all the rest of it. So I can see in myself, really convenient this, you know, this kind of <laughs> Protestant work ethic over there. Kind of, I'm, I'm very, I'm deeply conscientious, really really old-fashioned, sort of family-centric. And then on the other side, I've got this kind of, you know, kind of, Mick let's all have a nice it. time and sort of yeah. arrange everything <laughs> in a beautiful way. And, and that, but I think so. that's quite a convenience if we're talking about ancestors. Yeah, you know. but he also had, he, he, he had huge physical energy. Um, he was uh, often burning it off, wasn't he, by long walks, climbing, tree felling. And as you said, he worked extremely long hours in government and was renowned for his axe collection. Is yes, that right? Was. Yes, yeah. and actually, he, he, so it was a PR exercise fundamentally. So Gladstone became incredibly famous for um, 
for chopping down trees with axes. And I mean, I'm not talking about small trees, I'm talking about <laughs> trees this size. And, and I say it was a PR exercise because he was the, he was, as you mentioned, Holly, he was the working class champion. So it's said that every single, moment, every single family in Britain, working class family, had a memento of him in their house. But he would chop down trees in the park at Harden, where, where exactly where we have the Good Life Experience, our festival. And people would come on special trains to watch him. I mean, in their thousands. And um, there are two things that I love about it particularly. Once is, in, re in circumstances I have no idea quite what was going on, he managed to chop down a tree while his son Harry was up it. And so the tree came down and his son was still in the tree. Some and the, PR uh, manager didn't yeah, do their didn't, job very well. But the other thing was, point. when he would take off his jacket, just his jacket, all the ladies had to turn their backs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not even comparing myself to him, but I'm just... If you come to Harden, I'll take off my shirt. Oh, <laughs> now that is an offer. That is an offer. You heard it here. I was nicknamed Hurricane Holly, and I was this whirlwind of energy. Less now, but I do feel for my parents. But having energy is a huge benefit when you want to run a business or many businesses. And from reading about you, all the words that were used most were energetic, enthusiastic, optimistic, which have all got to be the best words, of course, by the way. Um, how do you think we can be all more enthusiastic in life? I, I, I don't think you can be enthusiastic. I mean, I think it goes entirely back to this very simple premise, is that assuming you've got something that you love, whether it's something that is regarded by the education system as, as trite, which in, in my case was pop music, which my school thought was almost the devil's work, or you love history or making things or shopping. I mean, it's perfect, you know, if you can find that, then I think the enthusiasm, the enthusiasm follows. I mean... I do think to an extent, and I think it's got better, that the education system tries to knock the kind of creative things out of us. So unless you're enthusiastic about history or science or maths or whatever, or, or related things, I think it's harder. And I think you've just, in terms of work, you've got to blur the line between mm. work and other life. And, and I, I, I get the concept of work-life balance and I understand that you may, if you're setting up your own business, really upset and alienate your other half, should you have one. But you've got, you're not going to make it work unless you're insanely committed to it. And you're not going to be insanely committed to it unless you are enthusiastic, I don't think. I mean, I've watched one or two young people who I kind of know or have mentored who have who've set up businesses. I've watched many who have worked insanely hard. I've watched quite a few, not so many, who kind of think that, ah, oh, it's all all right, you know, I'll just take the weekend off. I won't bother answering that phone call or my email. I don't think that works. And I think that that's because they're not truly enthusiastic. I, about I, it. I agree. I've, yes, I've had same experiences. And um, we're going to talk about hard work in a moment. But Roald Dahl's quote on um, this subject is actually one of my favourites. He said, I began to realise how important it was to be an enthusiast in life. If you are interested in something, no matter what it is, go at it full speed ahead. Embrace it with both arms, hug it, love it, and above all, become passionate about it. 
Lukewarm isn't good enough. Hot is not good either. White hot and passionate is the only thing to be. And I just love that quote. It's going back to your story. You had this wonderful outdoorsy childhood. You went to Eton, but at the same time as actually your friend, I think, Johnny Bowden. So you've had this sort of privileged education. And I can imagine, like Johnny said on this podcast, there wasn't that much room for creativity. So, no, so, no. so tell me where this enthusiasm that I, I see on stage, I think where it came from. I think, I think I can't help it. I mean, I, I, think, I think one of the advantages that of, of you know, having parents... My father was very creative and sort of open-minded. And, and, and I, I think one of the advantages that, that a fortunate education gives us is to show us different things. What I think then is incumbent on you is to share those enthusiasms. And I do that because I, I, some, someone said to me recently, you know, one of the things I really like about you is you share your enthusiasm with your children so much. And the truth is that I have, it's just because they're around, I have no choice but to share my enthusiasms <laughs> because they come spilling out of me. And, and, and I will share, I, you know, I'll share them with anyone. And I think, I think it's that. I mean, I think that's part of the thing about this small business thing is, you know, you find your thing. And, and, I, and I think, you know, if you're doing a small business, Whatever you do, don't try and sell something that you don't love, whether it's an idea or, or a thing that doesn't really float your boat. And then you've just got to do exactly what you were doing with Not on the High Street, which is just endlessly kind of, you know, knock on doors, whether it's to individuals or companies, and say, look at this. It's, it's genuinely great. I promise you it's great. And actually, the truth is that I think if you believe it's great, then it probably is. Yeah. So one of the few things that I think I've been really good at is taste. And, and I think that Peddlers has always punched and has punched way above its weight financially in, in scale in terms of its influence on, on taste. And, and I think, you know, we've often been sort of nominated by big magazines as being good at that. And I think I'm a great believer that there's no, not necessarily such a thing as good taste per se. I think it's just confidence of taste. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, I, if I'd styled this room, as indeed, you know, in the same way as you have, absolutely beautifully, if I styled this room, I would just be saying, you know, this is my vision. And if I do it well enough and with enough enthusiasm and enough passion, it will look good yeah. and therefore people will get it. And I think this is one of the, I, I think I mentioned this when, we, when I was lucky enough to speak at your um, Congregation of Inspiration in London, that I think this is where Two of our greatest retailers, Terence Conran and Paul Smith, have been so clever is that there is no grey area. You know, mm-hmm. I can imagine someone taking something into Terence Conran, taking a hundred things in, and within seconds you'll be able to go, no, 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 yes, yes, yes. And he doesn't have to go to someone, ah, what do, what you, do think? you think? You know, yeah. it's kind of, it's funny that 1970s clothes have become, you know, reasonably fashionable now. But I always think there's that amazing thing where you can imagine going into a kind of second-hand clothes shop and you think, gee whiz, you know, kind of orange flares and kind of some sequin jacket and yikes. And then five minutes later, you see someone walking down the street in those clothes and she's put them on and she's walking yeah. the walk. And you working think, it. Wow, you know, that is so cool. And, and that's confidence of taste. Yeah, I mean, the is. objects in themselves are neither good nor bad taste. And I think one of the things that we've done with our businesses is that I've always said that I, I don't say my taste is good. I just say it's absolutely the taste that defines our businesses. And if you don't agree with it, fine. If you want to set up your own business with your own taste, 
equally fine. Yeah. But we, I, I, if I go into one of our shops or cafes or, what, or whatever and I, and I say, you know, I'm sorry, we, we, just, we just can't have that. I'm not in any way being arrogant. I'm giving the business a very clear... And it's very helpful to have that as well. I'm sure anyone that runs their own small business, you know, you need to know that line, don't you? What you will agree with and what you won't agree with. And it's nothing to apologise for. So going forward, at the Congregation of Inspiration this year, you mentioned leading into when you took over the family business. And it was a rather stressful time. Is that right? Yeah, it was. Yes, there's a sort of long, long story here. But when we were 25, Caroline and I... Um, gave up our jobs in London. Caroline was a designer of um, homewares and gifts for Laura Ashley, which is a, 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 you know, a different company to the one it is now then. And I was the head of A&R at Warner's Music, which is signing acts to the publishing wing. And we gave up our jobs and we moved to Scotland and we, we'd taken over our family business. And, and um, we turned up there and we took on a house that was nearly derelict and, and we did that up and... I actually carried on working in the music business, but when I began to look under the surface at my family business, I realised that it was really, really in, in really bad condition. Um, it, and my father was, was still alive then, but he and his uncle had been running the business, and um, it was in a really serious mess. I mean, it was absolutely overwhelmed with debt, neglect. It had a whole load of incompetent people working for it. A family member was running various departments. He didn't bother talking to one of those departments for a whole year. Um, he wouldn't <laughs> that would come, be good. Uh, he yeah, wouldn't come to meetings well. if I had called them. And I was the youngest person, so I, I was 25. And I think we must have had 40 or 50 people working for us at this stage. And it was, you know, reasonably big business. And, and I sort of initially went in there and thought, you know, this is all fine, I can sort it out. After maybe three or four years, I realised that it was, it was really in bad nick. And it became, it was absolute sheer hell. Fast forward, we sacked a whole load of people, sold enough assets to get us out of debt, got the business working well. It's all in good nick now. I like it very much. But what, it, what was so interesting was that in many ways, it was like an MBA, you know, which yeah. I, I, it was, it, but it Real was, life one. yeah, the kind of one that actually makes you, you know, really makes every day really quite hard. And it really was, I found it really hard, but it's so good sometimes when you, when you have something in life that you, you kind of know that you don't want that. I mean, I think it's, mm. in, I, w- I think this is a, a sort of slightly tired phrase, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think, you know, sometimes in life you need to see what you don't like to know what you do like. And so, in many ways, that was not only a good education in business, because it was brilliantly, brutally good, but it was a brilliant way of, of really realising that I didn't like that. I mean, going into the office was hell, you know, kind of dysfunctional, nasty, mm-hmm. sort of chaotic, lazy, ridiculous kind of business. And, 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 but it was so good, because actually what I thought was... I really don't, I'm, I'm really never going to do that again. So now that business, it is full of massively fantastic, incredibly happy, super engaged people. It's run by a woman who started out as our secretary who is absolutely amazing. And in some ways, I'm, I'm not sure we'd have create that, if you like, that sort of good life business and, and all the rest of it, had we not 
had that experience. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And it's quite remarkable to think that you learned this, you know, 30, 25 years old, really how to do business differently. You grew into these two personas, your work persona and your home persona. You started thinking about bringing your whole self to work, a family environment. Um, and the world now, I would say, is catching up and business is changing but only in the last couple of years would I even say that the you know you still feed these images or you know the news will still feed these images of entrepreneurs in their sort of apprentice dragon den style suits being told that we have to be ruthless and successful and you were ahead of the curve 30 years ago but I I think also lots of things have changed you know flexible working the ability to bring your family in when I found not in the high street it was a way for people mainly mums actually not that we did this on purpose but 95% of everyone who's a partner not in the high street is female of building their businesses you know around their families and I read an article where you said that your office was in the house which enabled you to work all the hours and still do bath time. Tell me then about this, you know, we don't believe in work-life balance, but tell me about this notion, because raising a family of six, um, not alone, I know your dear wife might have something to say about that, not alone, striving for balance, striving to bring up that family, when everyone here, I'm sure, is struggling you know, to do yeah. that thing. I mean, what's I, I, your sort of well, what's firstly, your view on this? Firstly, Holly, I, I would say that I, I think if you can possibly avoid having your principal office at home, I think that's a really a good thing. And so I think it's a good thing to avoid that. I think if you're setting up a business, you know, you don't have to go and hire some swanky, you know, um, shared office space. But I think if you can possibly kind Being of create a physical barrier, it. yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the big changes in, in business that we're seeing, if, if, I, you know, if I can be so bold, are, I, I genuinely think are to do with the rise of women in the workplace. I mean, I don't think we necessarily need to get too much into kind of separating men from women, but I do think the culture mm-hmm. of having women in office... Female culture. It, I think it, I think it, it brings a, a more humane and perhaps a less negatively competitive spirit to things. Mm-hmm. I um, couldn't, well, I couldn't But I think more. I'm going to hesitate there because I'm bound to say something that is wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll come to that another time. But I mean, I, you know, I'm being serious. I mean, yeah, I, I, think, I yeah. think, you know, one has to be so careful. But I, I do think that's a big change. How do you think that moving to somewhere so remote and sort of rural affected your family? They are all uh, almost grown up now. What effect do you think that this had on their childhood and their character? Is this something oh, that you I mean, dreamt for them? Yeah, it, was, it, we, it had a profound impact. Um, we would never have been able to have six children had we stayed in London, just for sheer kind of economics of it. I mean, you know, yeah. the idea of, of, um, of owning a kind of seven or eight bedroom house in London would, would have been impossible. But, but we very much wanted to create... I mean, my, you alluded to this earlier. My, my parents brought me up in an almost feral way. I mean, we were allowed to do anything. <laughs> and actually, they would just push us outside, particularly in the summer and the winter, and just say... And they had a huge <laughs> bell that they'd ring for mealtimes. And that's the only time we'd come in and we would do... Um, and when my dad was very old, I, I recorded my podcast with him and he said... If I'd known what you guys were doing, I think I might have <laughs> not let you in. And we weren't, you know, latterly, of course, we were, you know, smoking and sort of all that sort of stuff. But actually, what we were really doing was just really dangerous stuff. Um, you know, trying to build swings in unspeakable... I mean, some of the things I think of now actually make my skin crawl. 
but but I but I think it was it was it was it was wonderful to kind of be able to have that upbringing and I think Caroline and I really wanted that for our children and and um, and I think it's changed their character dramatically. We we didn't have keys for the doors really, and if we did, we didn't lock the door. We didn't have to um, you know to 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 lock our cars or take the keys out or anything like that. We we are really as, as in the middle of nowhere as you can be, sort of eight miles from a, a shop here. And um, and I think that that kind of I think there are two aspects to it. I think that that allowed for a sort of safety and security, you no know, screeching fire alarms. But also the wildness was very important and, and I, we, we were very committed to having lots of dogs and we still have six dogs and to have chickens but also to have horses and ponies and I was always a little bit grumpy about the horses and ponies because three of the girls ride and Caroline and three of the children don't and I don't and on sort of Saturday I go oh, Jesus you know you've got to get up at seven in the morning get out the horses you know they'll be away till seven o'clock at night and you know, what's more, that's just cost sort of, you know, X hundred pounds and yeah. But anyway, but then one day I stood on the, out on the hills and I watched the three girls canter up a hill, sort of mud and, and, and water and dirt flying everywhere. And, and I, and I realised that that, that, that mm. had given them a really particular kind of fearless power. And it was an immensely transformative moment for me because not only did I stop being grumpy about the horses, or a little bit grumpy, silently grumpy, um, but I also realised that that was the kind of essence of what yeah. my parents had done for me and what we wanted to do. And, so, and what so many people wish they could do. Yes, you know, we, were, we were bringing, you know, bringing that yeah, freedom we were, you know, and that, you know... To we're, we're almost, we've been almost laughably privileged and... And I get it, you know, and, and when I talk about these things, it's, you know, some people, I no doubt, um, sort of slightly sneer, but we did, we took the opportunity that we had and it was brilliant. And that's all you can ask. Every week, there's an opportunity to have your very own ad break on this podcast, and it's all thanks to our partner, NatWest. NatWest's mission is to empower entrepreneurs, and so they're offering their very own ad break on this very podcast to any small business listening to help promote themselves for free. For your chance to win this incredible opportunity worth thousands and thousands of pounds, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreak at holly.co or find out more information on our website. We have a very special ad break recorded live at Conversations of Inspiration in Edinburgh. So congratulations to this week's NatWest Independent Ad Break winner, Treen, over to you. Um, so I am the founder of Treen. Treen is my nickname, Katrina. Treen is a vegan fashion retailer that aims to bring positive impact fashion to the conscious woman. We at Treen believe if you were given a choice, most people are willing to make, willing to want to take the positive choice. We are completely and utterly obsessed with customer experience, customer service. We are totally obsessed with store experience and creating a beautiful environment for clients to enjoy shopping within. I want to create an environment where women can shop their, and men soon, can shop their wish list and don't have to check labels for where products are made, who they're made by. They can have full trust in where the product's been selected. 
Um, you can find our Instagram handle is shoptreen and our website is shoptreen.com. We have very recently, just two weeks ago, opened up a bricks and mortar store on St. Stephen Street in Stockbridge in Edinburgh, which we're really excited about. And yeah, we're really excited. So we're five months old, very excited for what the future has to bring. Thank you. Thank you. If you'd like to take NatWest up on their generosity and be listened to by thousands of people, take that leap of faith and send in your small business advert to independentadbreaks at holly.co. We're looking for the wonderful stories that only small businesses can tell and have created more information on exactly what we're looking for on our website holly.co. What have you got to lose? Get recording. I can't wait to have a listen. Now back to Conversations of Inspiration. Tell me then about why you founded Peddlers. What was that moment of why it all happened? I think we kind of started to get the, the business on its feet. And we wanted to do our own thing. And I'd sold my little music management company. But I mean, I, we, we wanted to create a lifestyle brand. I mean, I think, if, if truth be known, you know, I, and it may sound a bit weird now, but I mean, I always thought a company like Ralph Lauren was just mind-blowingly brilliant. This was 25 years ago. You know, you go into that house that he had on, or he still has on, Madison Avenue in New York, and it was this world. And I just think, you know, this is so thorough and so beautiful. And then simultaneously, I was really inspired by the American mail order catalogues, you know, the sort of famous yeah. ones, which are a complete anomaly here. I mean, we had the next directory and we had the, the beginnings of Bowdoin. But in America, we had L.L. Bean and a whole host, a whole huge raft of these brilliant things. So we just thought, why don't we kind of, I don't think it was quite this thought process, but it wasn't dissimilar, you know, wouldn't it be great to create something like the sort of Ralph Lauren model in a catalogue in Britain and, and just to do it in a way that, that was, you know, utterly truthful to how we lived. So kind of, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't contrived and it, and, and it really did work really, really well. Yeah. What actually was... killed that business really, no, and it's still doing really well with vintage, but what killed the model of selling other people's things. So we were really good for a few years at buying you know, fantastic Christmas gifts from trade fairs and I'd, all around the world. And I did all that and we kind of identified great products and they'd sell, you know, really well. And what actually killed that business was the growth of Amazon mm -hmm. because the, a lot of the wholesalers, and, and I don't know if any of you are retailers selling other people's stuff, but of course you didn't have this problem. A lot of the wholesalers were selling at, um, you know, in Birmingham or New York or Frankfurt or Paris or whatever. And the minute that a company like Amazon started coming into the frame, you know, they would sell with them, sell many more than we could sell, even if we were selling, you know, 5,000 pieces and just undercut us. Mm -hmm. So within about two or three years, suddenly all the discoveries we'd made were, were on Amazon and, and that business disappeared. But we had a really brilliant run of this. And then we converted into a vintage business and that was amazing as well. And, so. and one of the things that I just love, because being completely brand obsessed is your brand stood out. And you know what? It is rare to find people who have 
such an eye for coolness, and um, and that is what your brand is. And I remember seeing the neon baubles one Christmas, and I I think I I, I saw well I was your customer. I bought all of them. Um, I remember having to call someone at customer service and actually waiting for them to come back in. She's like, <laughs> "How many trees do you have?" I was like, "No, I just need my tree to be dense with neon baubles." Um, and it was an obsession. And you have this wonderful shop and cafe in Notting Hill, which I recommend to anyone to visit. It's dog friendly, the coffee is delicious, and it's got a pretty sexy heritage shop front. I'm on a campaign trail at the moment, having lots of fun in Edinburgh in the last 72 hours, meeting lots of independents, encouraging more small businesses to have that presence on the high street. Um, Our high streets that need to not turn into clone towns, uh, which most of them are, and become hometowns. Um, I have a shop and cafe in Twickenham, and it just manages to cover its bills, if we can manage to do that. But it's so vital for Holly & Co. to to, to have that creativity. And someone um, recently spoke about clicks and mortar and how actually the future is going to be about this combination of the physicalness of going in and experiencing a brand and the online side, you know, backing it up. What is your advice maybe to a community about how, you know, I know a lot of people well, here do have their own stores. I, I think I've got, I've got two very clear bits of advice here. I mean, one is if you're going to have a shop, you're going to have to think really hard about margin because, you know, shops are exceptionally expensive. So don't get carried away with the idea that you might be able to go and buy something from top drawer and sell it for 2.3 times what you bought it for and make money in a shop because you won't be able to. So you're going to have to figure out how to make or get made your own things if you've got a shop. I mean, unless it's just greetings cards, the margin isn't there. The other thing is, you know, without being flippant, I mean, try and find a shop with good footfall, but, but a cheap shop. Because our, our shop is just off Portobello Road in um, Notting Hill. And it's, it's breathtakingly, stupidly expensive. And, and I, I think that it's a great idea, uh, bricks and clicks. But, you know, if you could find a, a, a lovely little space, you know, surrounded by two or three okay little shops or cafes, you know, that's small... That, that doesn't have huge rates, that doesn't have huge rent. That's the only way you're going to make it work. Now, so if that sounds a bit negative, it isn't, because the worst thing you can do is thinking, oh, I can easily take four, five grand a week, it shouldn't be a problem, you know, and sign up a lease for five ten or ten years. years. And, I mean, it's fascinating, because being in Notting Hill now, we've had our shop there for ne- very nearly ten years, and... Caroline and I have had a base there and our family for 20 years. And, and people come to Notting Hill, and I think that you can apply this to Edinburgh or, or Glasgow or Manchester or Liverpool, and they think the streets are paved with gold. And, and endlessly, 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 quite big and quite cool brands of restaurants, shops, bars, cafes, pubs are coming to our area in Notting Hill and literally lasting for about two years. Mm. I mean, I do feel strongly that the, the government need to act on this rates issue. I mean, I don't know if you all know, but essentially rates are based on the value of the property. So in reality, me in Notting Hill is probably paying the same as some massive great out-of-town superstore for my rates. 
And I think that is a big problem. The only other thing that I think we should work towards, which goes right back to what you were saying, is I think that we need t town centres, village centres, that, and if you can be near to one, then good, or create one that have weekly markets. Mm. I mean, I think that's one of, I think that is one of the, that could be one of the game changers for us. And I think that, you know, that's the beauty of France. I mean, I don't know if any of you go to France, but you go to these amazing weekly markets where everyone's coming in from out of town, so sucked in there and they're buying and they're their fruit and veg. And, and then you go to the, the chemist and there's a queue of, you know, 25 people. So it almost doesn't matter that there's very little trade for the, you know, for the majority of the rest of the week. And, and I think that, you know, that, that is something that would, would be a game changer. I mean, in fact, weird enough, we're just off the market in, in Portobello in London. And, and that really has become such a tourist attraction now that it doesn't impact in that way. But, but I think, you know, it, it's, if so, cheap shop near to a market in a really good area, totally impossible. Sorry for the advice. <laughs> But, you know, I would just add to that as well. I think in this, in the future, if you can almost look at, though, your rents and your rates in different ways, you know, for me, what I'm looking at it is in my marketing spend. So we don't spend a lot of marketing. Now, you have to get a bit bigger. But, you know, I will take that line of the rent and the rates and say, right, well, I don't spend on advertising per se, but that is going to be my marketing line because, and I'm going to make sure that it works really hard, sweat it hard, because in these days, you know, you need your YouTube, um, you know, uh, backdrop. You need your IGTV backdrop, your Instagram backdrop. How can you use your space oh, I mean, to yeah. actually bring to life things? So it's happening. But as Charlie says, you know, you do not take on a physical space lightly. In this day and age, it has got to be materially moving forward yes. with the times, yeah, hasn't it? And I, I mean, I absolutely, you know, I love shops. And, and we've got other shops. And, and I love shopping. And I'll carry on shopping. And I, I think... Did anyone see in, um, this thing in Paris that the um, LVMH guy, I think it is, is opening this new, you know, luxury superstore? And, you know, it'll have all his brands there. Um, he's the one that's trying to buy Tiffany. I get them muddled up. But, but I mean, he, you know, he, it's so interesting that he's opening this huge superstore, which will presumably give something like Selfridges a run for its money. So I think retailers theatre, we've all heard about, we've all talked about. I think it is a good thing. But, but I mean, don't, you know, don't give up. Don't be put off by mm. me. I think just realise that, you know, if you, if you rent somewhere that's costing you 25 grand a year and, and, you know, you've got rates of 12, you know, it's quite a, a yeah. big undertaking. It may not Absolutely. seem it. It may not seem it, but it's quite a big undertaking because you've got to pay that rent and rates and your staff and your light and your heat and your insurance before you even begin to buy anything to put on the shelf. Absolutely. You have a huge passion for provenance, don't you, and craft, and it's, it's why we're slightly business soulmates. You love to support the makers. You buy quality over quantity. Um, can you tell me about where this passion came from and how important you still think it is for business? This, you know, we were just talking about Amazon there, you know, and I'm sure everyone in here, you know, has that moment of debate, you know, do you get that cheaper item to sell or to buy or do you invest in quality and know that it's going to stand the test of time and be an evergreen product? How do you, how do you balance that for you? I think, I think we're, we're at the most fascinating moment now. I mean, I, we have always, I'm amazed and pleased to say, been interested in provenance. And we used to have entire catalogues full of stuff that were made in Britain um, because provenance really interests me. 
Um, it, I'm, it just, I mean, I can tell you where every single thing that I'm wearing today was made, for example, and it just interests me. I think that it's, it's, it's going to become so important. Mm -hmm. Agree. But just spinning back to your first question, I actually got my interest in provenance from French markets as a child because I always loved the idea of... of, of someone standing behind a stall that just sold plums that, that you know, they'd oh, grown. And, and, and that sort of, you know, and they, they expected you to kind of taste one. And, and, or and, you soaps. Know, and before you bought it, or soaps. And, yeah. but, but, you know, we, we've got to really, really, really think about sustainability now. And, 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 you know, before we start sort of yawning and going, you know, oh, that's the kind of new health and safety. I mean, we cannot carry on consuming in the way we have. Do you know that there's one province in China that employs 200,000 people that make 800,000 pairs of jeans a day. The average, American buys, the average American buys four new pairs of jeans a year. This is from this fascinating book called um, Fashionopolis, which is the equivalent about clothes of the brilliant book by B. Wilson, which is called What to Eat Now. You know, when you read these books, they talk about all the bad stuff, you know, the pollution, the, the air travel, the appalling labour. But then they start to offer solutions. You know, what would happen if you started to, to make your jeans in your garage? You know, how, how interesting would that be? Would you maybe be able to find enough people to spend, you know, £250 on a pair of jeans? You know, you don't need to sell very many. So I think, I think that... It's, it's got to change. I mean, it's not, you know, and, and it, you, we've got to think like this. I mean, I, I don't think we could, should try to be perfect, not least all because that gives me an out, but I, I, don't, I don't want us to be perfect, but we cannot carry on consuming, you know, the endless, meaningless crap that we have. And there is also another, I think, important thing, is that if you start to think about the products you wear and ask yourself, Am I happy wearing these jeans that have been made by someone who is essentially being made to work in a prison and paid a pittance? I mean, if you are happy, fine. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to wear those jeans. You, you can't... No. I mean, again, someone's going to probably slag me off for this. You know, most of us in this room are lucky enough to have an opportunity to make, to make a choice on some level about our food or the things we consume... And, and I don't necessarily think we have to buy, you know, you have to say don't buy anything. I just think if we, if, if we consider it, it, it will make life better. And if we don't, I, I, I do, well, it can't carry on, can it? Well, it can't carry on. And I think we are, though, entering a really interesting time, like you said. I call it the sea consumer, caring, conscious, and a campaigner. And I think it's really great for businesses to be aware out there. We're taking our trip on the B Corp journey. Um, I've talked to a number of you about the B Corp journey. And basically, at, in the future, this is what it's going to be all about. We have to, as businesses be incredibly conscious of what we're doing because we are the powerful force. You know, the government isn't. We are the powerful force. And how we affect people buying things and what they're buying. Um, and to see, you know, this shift this Christmas, can we get people buying less tat, less things that are going to land on the landfill, um, and more heirlooms? I'd love to also talk to you, though, moving on from this sort of point, but it's can actually... Can I just make one yeah, point? I mean, of course. not only can the government not do it, but they won't do it. 
Because however naive you are, you know that the government have to be in the pockets of big business and, and, and vice versa. There's no way they're no. going to fight this. I mean, no way. And, and very much so, in what you're saying, it means that it's in the hand of us to do something about it. And the power is in our hands. And mixed with that, though, you know, you have this love for provenance and where things come from, what people, how people are treated within your business, um, that you ended up at um, an age where maybe some would say you shouldn't be at festivals as much as you are, creating the Good Life Festival, um, combining your passions of music and the love of outdoors and food and people and crafts. And I've got a slide here where it just shows you how cool this thing is. Jumpsuits, we know you've... Yes, the daughters are here in the front row. <laughs> We've been spying you wearing those amazing jumpsuits for so long. Everyone at Holly & Co. is totally jealous. Tell me about the idea of how this came about, the Good Life Festival. Well, so, yeah, interesting. And the Good Life Experience, The Good Life sorry. Experience, it's called. And, and it, was, it, it was not really necessarily meant to be a festival, but it is, it's, it's a, a weekend, three or four nights, and it's a, a festival that gives equal weight to music, food, ideas, craft, and the great outdoors. Caroline and I had an idea of doing a festival that would involve all of those things, but we could do all of them, but we couldn't do the music. And um, a chance encounter with a very old friend of mine in a record shop in London transpired that he was manager of and married to Keris Matthews, who is a broadcaster of the Radio 6 show. And I, I sort of said we were keen to do this, and he said, well, we, you know, that's the sort of thing we'd love to do. So Keris does the music and we do the other things. And the idea is that we, we come together for a weekend and um, we, we, we learn things and we experience things. So you, you, you're, uh, as much of a draw at the festival is the fact that all of our chefs are only allowed to cook on campfires. And, and you come and you watch them. So there are none of these kind of hobs that you get at food festivals. And, and, and you are as likely to come to the Good Life Experience to learn how to screen print or make a wooden stool as you are to see um, you know a, a band and actually we don't we tend to attract very very high caliber acts but they're not and speakers and, and craftspeople and chefs but they're not necessarily you know we don't certainly don't have the kind of big names but the idea is more that you'll come and you'll you'll discover how to make a stool you'll meet some amazing person who you know who, who knows how to pickle kind of wild seagulls or something and actually i mean you think i'm joking um and um you um and and then you also might discover some amazing kind of um you know sort of balkan sort of folk punk band um that keris has discovered and her show i think is the biggest show on bbc six and interesting enough you know she will play kind of Jimi hendrix and and um and max richter but then some really sort of you know un unexpected kind of as it were balkan folk punk group. I, I run one day events and I literally probably have an inspiration hangover for about a month afterwards. It, it, when you came to the congregation of inspiration, I think you were having that sort of moment yeah, of um, I mean, tiredness afterwards. Well, what's been your biggest lesson building something like this now? I think, okay, so yes, we get very, very exhausted by it. And I actually describe it as, as hibernation. I mean, I find it in the weeks after the good life. So we had, we, we've reduced it in size. We had about 4,000 people this year. But they're literally in our house and around our house. 
and we have no full-time employees on this business so it really is a labor of love and, and it's 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 a great it's great but but it's it does take a lot out of us and so we almost have to go into hibernation for a few months and 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 you know not really think about it and and uh, during those weeks afterwards there are endless people emailing saying you know I, i've got an idea for next year can i can we discuss it kind of you know and you say yes and they say you know, how about tomorrow? And you have to say, look, I'm just going to have to think about this after, after, <laughs> after Christmas because it's actually, I think it might be a little bit like having children in that you have one and you're absolutely knackered and just as you start to recover, you think, oh, I might have another one now. Yeah. And, um, and that's, that kind, of, that's times, kind of how our you? festival goes, I think. Yeah, <laughs> thank God I can never do that again. And then just as we get our energy back, we do another one. I know you believe in hard... Oh, can I just say yeah, one? Yeah, of course, course. Interesting enough, I want to tell you here, so talking about provenance, so Spry Workwear is the boiler suit. Made, so we're looking at a blue in, boiler um, suit with made, a good life written on the made back. Made in England. To the right of it is um, a one from Yarmouth Oilskins, made in England. The Good Life Experience banner is made by one of our shop guys in London on the vintage Swiss Army thing. And the... Horse and Carriage was one which William Gladstone's wife used to take trips around the lake at Harden on that we oh. perhaps sacrilegiously decided to, um, <laughs> to paint up in a bit of neon. <laughs> so there's, there's, you know, there's a proper bit of provenance in a canvas tent. In a canvas yeah, tent. Yeah, we don't have plastic tents. We only have canvas tents. Well, I mean, as I was saying, that hard work is something I know that you believe in. And one of my favourite quotes of all time is Teddy Roosevelt saying, far and away, the best prize that life has to offer is the chance to work hard at work worth doing. And I know that you would agree with that. And you talk about your craziness of working hard. And I'm sure everyone in this audience, if you run your own small business or you're thinking about doing it, or you're an entrepreneur, you know what I'm talking about when we talk about hard work. I sort of tend to get some people that talk to me about, you know, well, maybe, again, should I have the weekend off? Or, you know, I think I'm about to have burnout in my first year. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, you know, burnout in your first year, you know, you've got to give it a decade and then we've got to start talking. But there is a thing, isn't there? If you're living your good life and you're building your life around your family and you've got everything combined and there's not working hours and day hours and all these sorts of things, it becomes happier. What do you believe about hard work? I mean, I... I daren't even look at Caroline at this moment. Don't look. I you am, keep looking straight I'm trying. I mean, I, I, no devil eyes, I think it's Caroline. a kind of madness, but I don't think that you can do it without it. And, and I think it is, it is important to recognise when you're burning out. But, I mean, what else? You, what are you going to do? Just go away and just sort of not do anything. I mean, it's fine if you've got an amazing team that can pick up the reins. And I think we probably have, and I possibly should learn that a bit more. But I think, you know, I, I, I don't really see what choice you have. I, mean, I don't think there will ever have been a successful entrepreneur or writer or, or even artist or musician or whatever who hasn't completely broken their back to achieve what they want. And, and I think that we talk about perfectionism in slightly ambiguous ways and that it's seen as a sort of good thing and a bad thing. But as I said earlier, you know, if you're not perfectionist, I, you're not going to be as successful as an entrepreneur. You're just not, it, you, you have no choice. Mm -hmm. you, you forget about it. So I, I think you've just got to work hard and you've got to find some ways of relieving yourself, whether that's exercise or, or whatever. I mean, you know, 
or you just burn the candle at all ends, which is probably what, what I've always done. And I think also... I mean, I have, I have a lot of time that I'm not working and I'm having fun. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. But I think, you know, you have to work manically hard. And manically hard can also be this thing that it's the most biggest joy in your life to work manically hard. Mm. You know, I think we get a bad rep, don't we? We all start feeling freaking out a bit because we're working all too hard. But if you absolutely adore and are passionate and are crazed by it, like myself, um, I'm giving myself a little um, a lesson here, it's okay. Now, you've built a brand. I mean, you know, you have peddlers, um, yes, but you have also have a number of businesses, don't you? And it's not just one business. I remember at the Congregation of Inspiration, you kept on saying you're addicted to starting businesses. You've got peddlers online and a shop in Notting Hill, the Good Life Experience yearly festival. You run, correct me if I'm wrong, Harden Estate, is that yeah, right? Yeah, we have, we, have we have two farm shops with cafes, one of which is big. Um, we have a pub and restaurant Yeah, there. you have the Glen Arms. Arms, the pub and restaurant local. Um, um, and then you have a weddings event venue, yes. Glendye. Um, and then, no, we have a weddings oh, event venue in Wales. And then we have yes. a new venture called Glendye Cabins and Cottages. Cottages, luxury is, holiday properties in, in Scotland. And, and micro camps, so essentially uh, residential courses. And you have a podcast too. Yes. And you have six children, six dogs, and yes. a lovely wife. Yes. So it's quite a lot. So if anyone else here is feeling like you're a bit strained with your one business, um, you can talk to Charlie later about how this actually happens. Actually, there is um, quite a lot more than that as well. Oh, right. Okay. Well, yeah. Sorry, I only just touched <laughs> I, the sides. Well, there. I think I'm a cla- actually. I mean, I have to say that I, 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 I think that I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. And re- in reality. I love, I can hardly resist sort of creating things, but actually I would urge you not to try and do that amount of stuff because not, <laughs> not least, all, I mean, I'm not saying because, it, you know, it probably will overstretch you, but I think that this notion of trying to get, you know, one or two things that you can do really beautifully is, is far better. And, you, and I can guarantee you that you would never have made Not On The High Street work in the way that you did had you also had, you know, two or three other projects. Oh, no, no. So, so I think if you, you know, if you want to kind of make your thing successful, I, d- I don't think, you know, I, 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 joking aside, I don't think that I'm a good role model. Well, you're a pretty good damn role model to me. <laughs> but if we just actually look at the Glendye cabins on Instagram, decked out in these beautiful products, stylish, and your branding and your design of the festivals, um, to the pubs and the axes etched on the window panes. You and your wife have created this strong, immersive brand that runs constantly through them all. Do you believe that having this sort of immersiveness around you is an important thing? Because it's something that I talk a lot about, about small businesses being able to touch, feel, listen, smell, interact. You know, it's not just okay to have a sort of one-dimension business anymore. No, I mean, I, th- I think that our businesses are consistent because they have a number of, of, of um, connecting aspects that, that tie them all together. So actually our farm shops won Best Farm Shop in Britain and our pubs just won Best Pub in Wales, in the AA or was it the Michelin? I can't Anyway, and I think that we, we really pay attention to these things and they have a consistency and that is a consistency of taste, a consistency of people and a consistency of care and attention. And I think if you can get, you know, if you can get those things and, 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 and add in the provenance, then 
they can all t they all tie together. I mean, I think if you knew our work and you went into one of our shops not knowing it was ours, or went to our festival, or went to one of our holiday costumes, I think you'd say, "God, this is really like those guys, you know, like they do." So I, I think you can kind of see it. And um, and 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 actually, as you said earlier, I think it's probably a relief for those who work with us where we are so driven to, to bring this consistency to the businesses because they don't have to thrash around wondering what they are and yes. um, you know and what they're meant to do and, and how they're meant to behave and it's um, important founders have this vision this vision and are strong with it tell me um, if you're not going to well maybe you're going to say you're going to build a load more businesses but what do you think the future is for you for well, your family for these businesses Two, two answers. We're, we're setting up a new website, but it's not a business. It's, it's going to be called Some Good Ideas, and it's going to be solely um, a portal for information and articles written and, and, and recorded and filmed from experts. So it's going to be on culture, sustainability, Brilliant. food, craft. So we're doing that. So it's not actually dissimilar to what you're doing with Holly & Co. For our businesses, I think the future is, I very much hope that some of our children will get involved in them and already um, a number of them are getting involved and, and I think that as we get them into you know the sort of shape that I really want them to be in um, I think there are, there are a few you know good careers and they're lifestyle careers I mean they'll, they'll hopefully you know pay them a bit of um, money and, and but that you know that's what I would hope I but you never you know you never know I mean nothing's here forever it's so interesting how you look, you know, you just don't know if your businesses are going to carry on forever. I mean, look at all the businesses that are tumbling, yes. businesses that we've all known all of our lives, just tumbling away. But I mean, that would be my aim is to get the, um, get the children, you know, involved the as children. they want to be. I wonder if it's their aim to work with mum and dad as well. well one of them, one of them over there already is. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to you all night long and I hope that we are paths cross far more in the future because you are a true inspiration. We're coming to the end of this podcast, but I'd like to ask you uh, if this life that we're living, running our own businesses, is like a roller coaster, can you sum up maybe what has been a low as the wind was blowing through your hair and you thought, oh Christ? Yes, I mean, it, it's absolutely 100%. It's, it's, um, it's cash flow. I mean, that's what kills 99% of good businesses. I've been through some brutal times. I mean, brutal. And I still, my principal anxiety is, um, I'm just getting over the anxiety of seeing one of my bank manager's names coming up on my phone. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, that is... I'm sure we all know that feeling. <laughs> it's, hor you know, it's, it's, it's horrible. And, and I bank with very good banks and, and you know, that, but, but it's cash flow. And... Yes. It's that, you know, I've made that mistake of, of not understanding that. You can have the best idea and the most beautifully run operation. And if you, you know, expand too quickly or buy too much of the wrong thing or just buy too much of the right thing. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that that's the low for that's me. That's the low. And conversely, the wind's blowing through your hair and you're screaming at the top of your lungs. Uh, I mean, the best thing, in, in our, best thing that we've ever done is, is sitting down after the, on the last night of the Good Life Experience and all of our children are involved and, um, and, and all of our team and, and, and you know, we all sit around a campfire at the end of the evening and, and, and the, on the last evening and, and have a, a, a drink or a, a few drinks and um, I actually stayed up until 5 a.m. this year <laughs> and it, it actually killed, I mean, I nearly died. Um, 
And, um, but, it, but that's the sort of, that's the euphoria. And I, I think, you know, I've characterized this before. And in fact, I said it when I spoke at your other amazing event, that, that it's that moment where you think, my God, you know, we've just had four or 5,000 people and they all had an amazing time. And even if we never did another one of these, you know, legacy, you know, when we, you know, when we, when we get wheeled down the aisle, you know, someone will say, and they did this incredible festival. You know, it, was, it wasn't Glastonbury, it wasn't Coachella, it wasn't anything like that, but it was absolutely brilliant and it was a labour of love and it was beautifully executed and it was so much fun, it was so friendly, then that is that's amazing. I couldn't that agree moment. more. Absolutely amazing. I couldn't agree more. How much do we all want to go? I mean, yes, I'm hoping you're selling tickets tonight. Charlie, you have been enthusiastic, inspiring, optimistic, colourful, um, everything I knew you would be. You're a wonderful man. Um, you've got a beautiful family. I'm honoured that you've all come tonight. Um, so am I. But, um, <laughs> um, but now it's time in my podcast where I hand over to my guest to read a letter to your younger self. I have no idea what you're going to say. It's a little moment for me um, to hear this, and it's an honour that I get to look at you reading yours. Thank you. Over to you. Look, that's me and my daughter going down the aisle this oh. year. <laughs> oh, can you see it? Oh, it, yeah. <laughs> Look how happy she looks. <laughs> oh, over to you. I have to take off my glasses for this. So this is my letter to my younger self. Dear Charlie, the more I think about this time travel thing, the less sense it makes to me. Actually, trying to understand what's going on is doing my head in. So I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm 55 and you're 25. And in lots of ways, I'm now at the peak of my powers and you're just beginning. I've chosen to write to you when you're 25 rather than as a child because I think that this is the point that you're just starting to be a proper grown-up. You've been married for a couple of years and you have a son and so now there's no denying it that adulthood is upon you. So I'm going to offer up a few bits of wisdom to help you navigate through the next 30 years. You're pretty stubborn and determined. Don't lose that, whatever you do. So you may well not really pay much attention to what I say, but here you are anyway. Take it or leave it. First, what you and Caroline are embarking on together, a life in the Highlands with lots of children and dogs and all that stuff, is going to be far and away the most important thing you ever do. Honestly, it sounds like a tedious cliche, but it's all that matters. So work hard by all means and do all sorts of other things but keep your eye on the family. Make sure that you put Caroline and the children first because truly nothing else really matters. And the older you get, the clearer this will become. And while I'm dealing in cliches, please be aware that life passes very quickly indeed. In a flash, in fact. In 2020, you're going to be a grandfather. Yup, it passes quickly. Second, Please know that you can't do everything. I know you're ambitious and weirdly energetic and that you have loads of friends and that you want to sample everything that life has to offer and to burn the candle at both ends and to endlessly, endlessly create and imbibe stuff. But do take it a bit easy on yourself. You're not invincible. Talking of taking it easy on yourself, get out of the music business right now. Sure, you're going to do some good things and to make a decent living, but get out now because first, all of that travelling and all of those late nights aren't good for family life. And second, because 
being in the music business is not conducive to enjoying music. And every day that you work with music, you'll see it as product. And it is absolutely not product. It is art and beauty, and it's everything to you. So get out. Third, be aware that only you can do the things you want to do. Only you can create the change you want to see. Your family business is a hellhole at the moment, and your inheritance is making you deeply unhappy. No one's going to sort it out for you. Pretty much everyone else, family, employees, is on the gravy train. Make the change. Be brave. Don't worry if people don't like what you do, provided that you're doing the right thing. You can create a better world, and you have the energy and the drive to do it, so don't sit around waiting for it to happen. Remember, you're a grown-up, change is in your gift. In a few years, by the way, you won't even remember some of the unpleasant things that seem so monumental today. So, sack who needs to be sacked, sell what needs to be sold, confront what's wrong, do it now. Fourth, please, please don't get carried away with trying to make your businesses too big. To do so is, to be, is going to be a mistake. It'll bring you and your businesses to their knees. For you, ambition is not about being the biggest, it's about being the best. You can definitely be the best, but you won't succeed in trying to become the biggest. You're just not cut out for it. Peddlers is going to become a great business, but you don't need it or any of your other ventures. And believe you me, there'll be plenty more, even than you can imagine, to be the biggest. You want to create perfect small businesses, and this is what you're good at and what will bring you true satisfaction. So keep your businesses small. You're good with people, you're good with taste and design, and you love creating new ventures. That's enough for you and for those that work with you. Fifth, it doesn't get any better than it is now. Happiness is not around the corner. It's here and it's now. Life is like this. It has ups and it has downs, and it's up to you to be happy. Sixth, despite the constant voices in your head telling you otherwise, when it comes to business, you're really very good at, other th at some things. But you need help to make everything work. You can't do it all by yourself. So try to avoid setting up too many businesses by yourself. Find partners. Get others to help manage the business for you. And when you do employ people, by the way, follow your gut. Don't be distracted by headhunters and professionals. You know what you need better than they do. Seventh, give as much time as you can to your dad. He's a fine man and you'll never find someone to champion and encourage you in the way he does. He won't last forever, but almost every moment with him will either be enriching or completely hilarious or challenging, and every moment will be useful. So make sure that when he dies, you've spent as much time together as you possibly can. And while I'm at it, don't try to impress your mum. Honestly, she's not interested and you won't change that. So accept it. It is what it is. It's fine. And that's pretty much it for today. Be yourself, put others first, your generosity is your power, do the right thing, continue to put kindness and love and humanity first. People are good and nearly everyone is doing their best, so don't waste a second on those who aren't good. Work hard, stand up for the right thing, stand up for the underdog, keep on going, it's going to be an amazing 30 years. Love from me. Oh, fantastic. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I knew, I knew this guy has inspired me 
since the day dot, and I just got teary there just thinking, how am I on stage with you, mm. reading a letter to your younger self? Um, you're an inspiration, and you're... Um, yeah, you're just fan fantastic, and thank you <laughs> thank so, you, so Charlie. much. Thank, thank you, you, Charlie. Thank you. Thanks, NatWest, again for sponsoring this podcast. It wouldn't exist without them, and I know how many small businesses this podcast is actually helping. It's great to partner with an organisation that believes in empowering business owners. To make use of their free NatWest Business Hub, which is full of information, tips and insights to help business owners meet their goals, go to natwestbusinesshub.com. Also, have you heard of their incredible mission to help 400,000 more women start a business by 2025? To help female founders launch and scale their business, they have launched Back Her Business, a programme which helps women prepare their business idea for crowdfunding. Now, here's the best bit. Most of the funding will come from the crowd, where NatWest has teamed up with Crowdfunder. But the bank will provide a top-up in funding and will be offering up to 50% of an individual's fundraising target, capped at £5,000, for certain successful projects. Yes, you heard right. You could win the ability to have the amount you raised, if £5,000 or under, matched by NatWest. I wish I'd had this opportunity available when I launched Not on the High Street or even Holly & Co. Head to natwestbackerbusiness.co.uk to find out more. Also, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of Conversations of Inspiration. My mission is to help everyone build a business doing what they love. I've seen how happy founding a business based on your passions can make you and I want everyone to have that fulfilment. Happiness is the new rich and using your business as a force for good is the new way of doing commerce. So let's create a nation of happiness happy entrepreneurs that are changing the world for the better. Can I ask you a question? Might you help me on this mission? If you like what you've listened to, would you rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or your favourite podcast provider? It will help others find this podcast and may just be the inspiration they need to follow their dreams. Thanks so much. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you...